Welcome to the GDPR Weekly Show, one of the top five GDPR podcasts worldwide. Here is what's coming up in this week's episode. Welcome to episode 176 of the GDPR Weekly Show and our first episode of 2022. I'd like to begin by hoping that all of you had a restful and peaceful Christmas period and of course to wish you a happy new year. So coming up in this week's episode, we begin with news that on the last past data breach update, which occurred over Christmas, we then have news of a data breach at T-Mobile, and we then have news that the games platform Sega narrowly avoided a data breach. We then have news of a data breach at Colchester Council, and we then travel to Southampton in the UK, where an ex-NatWest member of staff has customer details filed under her bed. We then travel to Rhode Island in the USA, where Rhode Island Public Transport Authority has had a data breach. And then to Maine in the USA, where Pulse TV has had a data breach. We then return to the EU and news that South Korea has now been declared adequate for GDPR. And staying in the EU, we travel to Luxembourg, where a court has granted Amazon a deferment of its GDPR penalty. We then travel to the US with news of changes to US state data incident reporting standards. And then to India, where India is to update its data protection laws in 2022. And finally, this week, we have news that Redline data now appears on Have I Been Pawned. So as always, a real mix of articles for you this week. We hope that you find the information in the articles useful and informative. If you have any feedback for us, we always welcome your feedback. Please email us at feedback at gdprweeklyshow.com. We do read every single piece of feedback we receive, but due to the volume of feedback we receive, it's not always possible to respond to each piece of feedback individually. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Probably the major story to break over the Christmas period was the news of the data breach at LastPass. However, LastPass now say that there's no evidence that there was an actual data breach. LastPass maintains that it was never compromised and user accounts have not been accessed by bad actors. They said instead that the alerts have been down to fairly common bot-related activity involving malicious attempts to log into LastPass accounts using emails and passwords that bad actors are the source from past breaches of third-party services, i.e. not LastPass itself. It's important to note that we do not have any indication that accounts were successfully accessed or that the LastPass service was otherwise compromised by an unauthorised party, the company said. We regularly monitor this type of activity and will continue to take steps designed to ensure that LastPass, its users and their data remain protected and secure. Late on Tuesday this week, LastPass issued a further statement saying, as previously stated, LastPass is aware of and has been investigating recent reports of users receiving emails alerting them to blocked login attempts. We quickly work to investigate this activity and at this time we have no indication that any LastPass accounts were compromised by any unauthorised third party as a result of this credential stuffing nor have we found any indication that users' LastPass credentials were harvested by malware, road browser extensions or phishing campaigns. However, out of an abundance of caution, we continue to investigate in an effort to determine what was causing the automated security alert emails to be triggered from our systems. Our investigation has since found that some of these security alerts, which were sent to a limited subset of LastPass users, were likely triggered in error. As a result, we've adjusted our security alert systems and this issue has since been resolved. These alerts were triggered due to LastPass's ongoing efforts to defend its customers from bad actors and credential stuffing attempts. It's also important to reiterate that LastPass's zero-knowledge security model means that at no time does LastPass store, have knowledge of, or have access to a user's master passwords. We will continue to readily monitor for unusual malicious activity and will, as necessary, continue to take steps designed to ensure that LastPass, its users, and their data remain protected and secure. 
our advice to use the last pass would be, of course, if possible, to also use two-factor authentication. So you add that extra step in, so you're not just relying on the LastPass master password. If we have any further update on this from LastPass, we will, of course, bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Want to ask GDPR questions live? Come and join our GDPR surgery on Clubhouse, Thursday, 4pm UK time. If you're a regular listener to the GDPR Weekly Show, then you might remember that back in episode 158 and 159, we brought you news for a data breach at phone operator T-Mobile. Well, over the Christmas period, T-Mobile has announced another data breach. This time, it seems that a relatively small number of T-Mobile customer accounts were accessed without authorization by an unknown individual. The affected customers were either the victim of an unauthorized SIM swap or had their personal details such as names, addresses, phone numbers, plan details and number lines on the account scrutinised by the perpetrator of the breach. Thankfully, it was confirmed that those whose SIM was swapped without their permission were able to regain access to their SIM after contacting T-Mobile's support team. Those affected by this latest breach of T-Mobile's cyber defences have already been notified with details on what data was accessed. T-Mobile hasn't revealed just how many customers were affected in this latest breach, but it says there's no indication that username and password combinations or stored payment methods were accessed or acquired. E-gaming provider Sega had a narrow miss over the Christmas period when they left some data, albeit unintentionally, exposed in an Amazon bucket on the internet but fortunately were able to get to it before any bad actors did and close it down. The supposedly secure information with Sega was stored in a public accessible Amazon Web Services bucket. Impacted domains included landing pages for several franchises published by Sega, those being Sonic the Hedgehog, Total War and Bionetta. And as if that wasn't enough, the vulnerability affected Sega's official website too. The security gap was discovered and breached by a team of researchers before any malicious actors could venture in. It was also discovered that an improperly stored MailChimp API key could driven hackers access to a ton of email lists linked to IP addresses and passwords. As of yet, there is no evidence at all that any outside hackers have tampered with the data. But it does perhaps serve as a warning to make sure that anyone using Amazon Web Services buckets does have them locked down. After all, in this case, with the brand recognition of Sonic the Hedgehog, imagine what could have happened to the younger user base. Sage will assure us that the security hole is now completely filled. But should we receive any update from Sega, we will, of course, bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. To Colchester in the UK now, and an IT error has resulted in dozens of volunteer park rangers' personal data, including phone numbers and home addresses, being compromised. The mistake was made after a member of council staff contacted volunteers, asking them to submit their hours of availability for park ranging but a staff member failed to redact confidential information in the email, meaning home addresses as well as landline and mobile phone numbers were sent out by accident. Terry Juffs, who is a Tolchester Council Volunteer Ranger and former chairman of the Volunteer Rangers, said he was worried about the compromising of people's data and added that he had already received a letter from an unnamed individual that simply wrote, I know where you live, mate. He said the park rangers don't share their home addresses unless they decide they want to. This is really not on a serious error of judgment. There's no leadership at the moment because the lead ranger has gone on long-term sick leave, so they're flying by the seat of their pants. What's annoying about this is I like to keep my home address confidential, to be honest, because I do get some strange scenes through the door. As a former barrister, Mr Jeffs added that his career in law meant certain individuals may want to intimidate him, as in he had already received a threatening letter from an individual who obtained his address. He said, I received a letter reading, I know where you live, mate, and you want to be careful. I'm 69 now and I can handle myself, but you don't know who's out there. 
I'm not going to take this to the police because I don't think this was done in a malicious way, but these actions do have consequences, Mr Jeffers added. In a statement, Colchester Council said, We take all matters relating to the security of our residents' personal data seriously. We want to reassure residents that we're conducting an internal investigation to establish the nature of the content shared with individuals concerned and appropriate action will be taken. When we receive any update from Colchester Council, we will, of course, bring it to you in the next debate episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. To Southampton now and an ex-bank worker who has the financial details of 1,600 customers hidden under her bed said her efforts to return them have taken over her life. The lady involved said she was sent home with the sensitive data as part of her job selling mortgages for NatWest in Southampton more than 10 years ago. She was dismissed by NatWest in 2009 for failing to return customer information but claims the bank refused to take it back. NatWest said the situation resulted in no customer detriment. It added that it believed until 2019 the woman had returned all customer data in 2012. The woman said the documents included account details belonging to customers in Hampshire, Dorset, Berkshire, London, Bristol, Surrey, Essex, Herefordshire and the West Midlands. In exchange for returning information, the woman continues to seek a settlement agreement involving payment from the bank and an uncapped indemnity in relation to any claims against her, a spokesperson for NatWest said. But the woman said she believed NatWest should compensate her and claimed she was never contingent on her returning the documents. The woman, who asked to remain anonymous because she fears being targeted by burglars, said that she becomes anxious about leaving the data before going on holiday and feels like the bank doesn't care about the customers affected. To me, that's 1,600 people. If the house got burned, wouldn't it find the wrong hands? What on earth would happen to them, she said. The banker put me in a position now she'd never have been in. She added that spreading the documents would not protect her from any potential future litigation and wasn't the right thing to do. The woman, who was allowed to work from home in 2006, said while working for NatWest, she was generating a million pounds in mortgage business a week. This involved handling account and customer identification numbers, names, sort codes, credit card details, direct debits and addresses. She said she'd become concerned about holding large quantities of highly sensitive data outside the bank and asked the ICO for advice while she still worked for NatWest. The woman said she'd now reached a stalemate with the bank over the wording of a receipt that would agree conditions for return of the documents. A letter from the ICO, seen by journalists, said a receipt signed by both parties would not be considered unreasonable, especially as it understood that the bank has no record of what data it had given to the woman to carry out her duties. The lady of old was sacked for gross misconduct in 2009. A redacted email she obtained via a subject access request showed a NatWest employee had said of her dismissal, that's what I call an achievement. However, she said the ongoing decade-long fight to return the documents has taken over her life. It's taken me away from my children and it's given me anxiety, she said. A spokesperson for NatWest Group, which was branded as Royal Bank of Scotland during much of the dispute, said the woman was dismissed for gross misconduct for a repeated refusal to return customer information. They said there are no concerns that this historical documentation has been shared with any other parties and they previously believed all the data was returned in 2012 via the ICO. Want to ask GDPR questions live? Come and join our GDPR surgery on Clubhouse, Thursday, 4pm UK time. To Rhode Island in the USA now, and the Rhode Island Attorney General's Office is investigating the Rhode Island Public Transport Authority's handling of a data breach that's affected thousands of past and present state employees. Kirsty Desrees, a spokeswoman for the Attorney General, Peter Narona, said the office was reviewing the incident to determine whether the entities involved had complied with state laws regarding notification and safeguarding of personal information in their custody. The Attorney General's Office was notified about the breach on December the 23rd and has been receiving a high volume of calls. 
More than 17,000 people in Rhode Island were affected by a breach of the Rhode Island Public Transport Authority's computer network in August, according to letters that victims received this week. Many individuals had their personal data stolen and never worked for the Rhode Island Public Transport Authority or interacted with the transit agency, raising the question of why their information was on the company's network. Republican Edith Agello said that she was among the victims of the breach and similarly wondered how the transit authority had obtained their information. I haven't been on a bus for almost a decade, she said. Agello said she sought an explanation and was told that United Healthcare had been sending bills for all state employees' health claims to the Transit Authority, leaving it up to the Transit Agency to sort out which of those claims actually came from Transit Agency employees. United Healthcare administered the health plan for state employees prior to 2020. The company has not responded to requests for more information. The Rhode Island Passenger Transport Authority has not explained why files that contain state employees' personal information, including names, addresses, dates of birth, social security numbers, health plan numbers and the dates and amounts of health claims, were not deleted or destroyed. In an apparent effort to quell the confusion, Director of Administration James E. Thorson sent out an email to state employees on Tuesday confirming that the Transit Authority had been the target of a recent security incident that had involved the personal information of beneficiaries of the state of Rhode Island's health plans. Thorson also included an additional piece of information about the breach, saying the files that were stolen pertained to health plan billing from around 2013 through to around 2015. However, several current and former state employees who were notified that their data was stolen said that they did not work for the state during those years, making it unclear why their personal information would have been included in those files. Rhode Island's Identity Theft Protection Act 2015 gives government agencies 45 days to notify affected individuals about data breach. The notification process can be delayed if it would impede a criminal investigation, but only if requested by a federal, state or local law enforcement agency. But state employees affected by this breach were in the dark until they received letters in the mail this week. These letters were dated and postmarked December 21st, nearly two months after the breach was believed to have taken place. Rhode Island Passenger Transport Authority did not respond to an inquiry about whether the delayed notification might have violated the law. The law carries penalties of $100 per person for reckless violations or $200 per person for knowing and willful violations, which stood out up to a fine in the millions of dollars. Doubtless there will be further to hear on this, so whenever we get an update from the Rhode Island Passenger Transport Authority, we will of course bring it to you here on the GDPR Weekly Show. Remaining in the USA but going to Maine now, and the US e-commerce website Pulse TV recently disclosed a data security breach involving over 200,000 customer credit card details. In a notification letter shared with the Office of the Maine Attorney General, the company says that the information included customer's name, address, email address, payment card number, expiry date and card security code, the CVV number on the back of the card, provided during checkout would been compromised. The company said on March the 8th, Visa informed us that our website, www.pulsetv.com, was a common point of purchase for some unauthorised credit card transactions and that the website may have a possible compromise. Shortly after that, we conducted malware scans, checked our security settings and cooperated with Visa's request for information. After an initial investigation, Pulse TV says it did not find any ongoing compromise involving customers' credit cards, nor any customers' complaints regarding credit card transactions. However, a few months later, law enforcement agencies contacted the e-commerce firm and notified about additional payment card compromises that appeared to have originated from PulseTV.com. In a statement, the company said, We then started working with legal counsel and an expertise in cybersecurity. Legal counsel also hired nationally recognised cybersecurity experts to assist with the investigation. 
On November the 18th, 2021, our investigator learned that the website had been identified as a common point of purchase for a number of unauthorised credit card transactions for MasterCard. Post TV says that having communication with the card brands is believed that only customers who purchase products on the website with a credit card between November 1st, 2019 and August 31st, 2021 may have been affected, but investigators were not able to verify that the website was the cause of the unauthorised transactions. However, in an abundance of caution, Pulse TV is notifying customers who purchase products on our website during that time period so they can take steps to protect and secure their credit card information, the company says. Pulse TV also announced that they're migrating to a different payment system and adding two-factor authentication for in all internal devices. The platform plans to utilise endpoint detection and response tools to provide greater network visibility and threat mitigation. We are also working with the payment card networks to keep them informed and cooperating with the ongoing investigation of the incident by law enforcement. Finally, we are providing notices of incident to appropriate state regulators consistent with our compliance obligations and responsibilities, the company said. The company warned customers who purchased from the site between November 1st, 2019 and August 31st, 2021 to remain vigilant of fraud and identity theft and recommends them to regularly review their account statements and monitor free credit reports for any unauthorised activity. If you believe your payment card information may have been compromised, we strongly encourage you to contact your payment card company and or financial institution and request that the card be cancelled. You should report any instance of suspected identity theft to your local law enforcement agency and the State Attorney General, the company says. In April, Visa's Payment Fraud Disruption Team reported that cyber criminals are increasingly using web shells to establish command and control over retailers' service during payment card stimming attacks. The web shells enable fraudsters conducting digital stimming attacks on e-commerce sites to establish and maintain access to compromised servers, deploy additional malicious files and payloads, facilitate lateral movement within a victim's network and remotely execute commands, Visa said. The most common methods for deploying a web shell are malicious application plugins or malicious PHP code, Visa reported. Visa reached its conclusions after studying 45 digital stimming attacks in 2020. In February, Microsoft reported spotting 140,000 web shells per month on servers from August 2020 to January 2021, which said it was almost twice the number from the same period a year before. These web shells, however, were not necessarily being used for retail attacks. Last year, in August, Michigan State University said it was investigating how hackers were able to steal credit card data from the school's online shopping site over a nine-month period. The stimming, which took place between October 2019 and June 2020, appears to have affected about 2,600 customers at the university's online store, shop.msu.edu, according to the store. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. On December the 30th, 2021, the European Commission declared South Korea as an adequate country as far as GDPR is concerned. If you're ready to listen to GDPR, would you show you'll know that the importance of adequacy is that it means that data that's subject to GDPR can be safely transferred to the third country. The adequacy decision in this case was based on the South Korean Personal Data Protection Law, named PIPA, which we've mentioned several times here in previous episodes of GDPR, which you show, which sets out European-grade privacy principles and confers material supervision and enforcement powers to the South Korean National Data Protection Commission. The South Korean law also complies with specific requirements raised by the European Commission, which include increased data subject transparency obligations. With this adequacy decision, South Korea joins 14 countries already recognised by the European Commission as adequate, who include Japan, the UK, Canada, New Zealand and Israel. 
we welcome South Korea to the fold as it further enhances the state, which we've mentioned several times here on the GDPR Weekly Show, and it is important that GDPR is becoming the bedrock of data security worldwide. If you're already listening to the GDPR Weekly Show, then you'll probably remember that back in episodes 166 and 167, we mentioned about the record fine imposed on Amazon by the Data Protection Authorities in Luxembourg following breaches of GDPR by Amazon. Amazon have been paying this penalty via a daily $750,000 payment towards its disputed 746 million euro for 844 million US dollars fine. The penalty comes from a July ruling against Amazon Europe in which the Luxembourg National Commission for Data Protection claimed that Amazon's posting of personal data did not comply with GDPR. Amazon said it would challenge the ruling which it deems to have no merit. In a statement, Amazon said maintaining the security of our customers' information and their trust their top priorities, there's been no data breach, no customer data has been exposed to any third party, these facts are undisputed, we strongly disagree with the ruling and we intend to appeal. The decision relating to how we show customers relevant advertising relies on subjective and untested interpretations of European privacy law and the proposed fines entirely out of proportion with even that interpretation. However, a court in Luxembourg has now ruled that Amazon does not have to continue making the daily payments until the appeal is heard. The judge said that the orders by the Luxembourg Data Protection Authority were not sufficiently clear, precise and without uncertainty to allow Amazon to meet an ultimatum. A hearing earlier in December, Amazon lawyer said the watchdog's deadline was unrealistic because it's not clear what changes are required. We have no guidance about what we need to do, so how can we do it? Once we have a further update on this from Amazon or from the Luxembourg Data Protection Authority, we will of course bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com 2022 is going to see some changes to state data breach notification laws across the US. Effective from April 1st, 2022, with a compliance date of May 1st, 2022, federally regulated banking organisations must notify their primary federal regulator of any computer security incident that rises to the level of a notification incident within 36 hours after the banking organisation determines that the incident has occurred. In addition, federally regulated bank service providers must notify each affected bank organisation of such an incident as soon as possible after determining it has experienced such an incident. Already effective from New Year's Eve, December 31st, 2021, covered freight railroads, passenger rail and rail transit systems must report any cybersecurity incidents to the US Department of Homeland Securities, Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency within 24 hours of identifying an incident. Also now current is that health apps and connected devices that collect or use consumers' health information must notify affected consumers when their health data has been breached, as well as the Federal Trade Commission, the FTC, within 60 days of discovering the breach. And finally, critical pipeline owners and operators must report a cybersecurity incident to CISA within 12 hours of the incident identification. That, of course, follows the incident with Colonial Pipeline in 2021. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. To India now, and authorities in India are set to clamp down on data breaches and tighten rules for holding sensitive data, according to local media reports. Organisations will be forced to disclose data breaches within 72 hours, bringing India in line with territories such as the EU, which mandates 72 hours, of course, under GDPR. 
and India firms will no longer be able to store payment card information with only card issuers and card networks such as Visa or MasterCard permitted to do so. The Reserve Bank of India is adding new restrictions on who can hold payment card data starting from January the 1st this year. Under the new rules, only the card issuer and card network will be able to hold full card details. Others, including retailers, can only hold limited data for identification or reconciliation purposes. These data include the last four digits of the card number and the card issuer's name. Any organisation other than card issuer network that holds full card data needs to destroy it. The new rules follow moves over the last few years to permit card networks to allow tokenisation services for payment card details. Organisations in India will be forced to disclose any data breach within 72 hours, with potential jail terms or fines being introduced for those who intentionally disclose personal data without the consent of the data processor. Firms will need to report any breaches and take appropriate remedial measures to protect their customers following the breach. The proposal comes as the Personal Data Protection Bill, first proposed in December 2019, is being considered by a joint committee of the Indian Parliament's lower and upper chambers. According to local media reports, lawmakers expect India's Data Protection Authority to start work on implementing proposals before June 2022, and organisations handling data will need to register before September 2022. The full bill is expected to be implemented within the next two years. Penalties for breaches include jail terms of up to three years or fines of up to 200,000 rupees for anyone who intentionally discloses personal data without permission. If an organisation acting as a data fiduciary or data controller fails to disclose a breach, fails to register with the DPA, fails to conduct required audits or fails to appoint a data protection officer, it faces a fine of up to 2% of worldwide turnover or 50 million rupees. The Joint Parliamentary Committee has also recommended that social media companies be treated as content publishers under the Data Protection Act unless they act as intermediaries. This means social media firms will be held accountable for content from unverified accounts on their services. The new regulations are being welcomed by cybersecurity experts in India for bringing data privacy and security in India in line with international norms. And finally this week, we have news that the Have I Been Pawned data breach notification service now lets you check if your email and password are one of the 441,000 accounts stolen in an information stealing campaign using Redline malware. Redline is currently the most widely used information stealing malware distributed through phishing campaigns YouTube scams and malware sites. Once installed, the Redline malware will attempt to steal cookies, credentials, credit cards and autocomplete information stored in browsers. It also steals credentials stored in VPN clients and FTP clients, steals cryptocurrency wallets and then download additional software or execute commands on the infected systems. The stolen data is collected into an archive called Logs and uploaded to a remote server from where the attacker can later collect them. Attackers use these logs to compromise other accounts or they sell them on the dark web for as little as $5 a log. The Redline data contains 441,657 unique email addresses stolen by Redline that can now be searched on Have I Been Pawned. Unfortunately, if your email address is listed in the Redline malware logs, it's not enough to just change the password associated with your email account. As Redline targets all of your data, you must change your password for all accounts used on the machine, including corporate VPN and email accounts and any other personal accounts. Further, as Redline attempts to steal cryptocurrency wallets, you should immediately transfer the tokens to another wallet if you have any. Finally, if your email is listed as part of the Redline records, you should scan your computer using antivirus software to detect and remove any installed malware. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. The GDPR Weekly Show is an insurance production. Until next time, bye-bye.